All right, here we are again, another week. Making movies is hard. Welcome, everyone. I'm Timothy Plain. I'm Alric Purcell. <laughs> what up, Alric? What up? I'm like, what up? I'm not giving our usual intro this week because I think we're going a little off format anyways, and we're not focusing on one topic, so that whole line doesn't really, really say exactly what we're doing this week. Um, so I'll just say, we're not pretending to be experts. This is just our opinion. Okay? Yeah. Okay. All right. Wow. I like this new fresh approach. Yeah. We've done, we've done it so many times now. We should just be able to roll into it all natural like. My head was exploding. I was like, <laughs> wait, he's not saying the words he is programmed to say. The yeah. robot is malfunctioning. We'll see how this works out. Um, okay. So this week, what we decided to do is just take three kind of smaller topics that we're interested in talking about and um, doing those for like 10 minutes a piece rather than doing one big long topic so the first is where to put the camera and then we have a clip from roger deakins talking about lenses that we're going to get into and then um i found a little something from quentin tarantino in the roundtable discussion that he talked a little bit about how he gets performances from actors that i i thought was interesting so i wanted to dive a little deeper into that so we'll get there but first why don't we talk about what's going on with us why don't you start? What's Me. going on with you? How's the last week been? Uh, well, I was sick and I got depressed. Um, uh-huh. And then uh, I became undepressed. Uh, and uh, <laughs> How do you get undepressed once um, you're depressed? Well, how did, how did it happen? Um, what were you depressed about? Oh, everything. Just like, you know, all the usual. Like, oh yeah, what am I doing? Like, why am I... Like, not why am I making these movies, but, like, why am I not further along in my career, you know? Yeah. Like, why am I so far behind um, where I want to be, you know? And, uh, like, why am I producing this movie that, you know... Like, I, it's like I like the movie. It's cool. And, like, I think it's going to be great, but I just feel like, you know, maybe I should be just producing the alternate. So, I was basically just questioning all my decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got less sick, so I think that just helped. And then I... um you know, meeting with you and Dave last week was a big, uh, you know, emotional uh, boost, you know, just because I, I don't know, just talking to two other creative people in person and, you know, workshopping ideas together. I don't know. It was just invigorating. So I think that kind of jump started the getting out of the depression. And then mm-hmm. I met with the filmmakers for the for the feature uh, or the, the director and one of the other producers on Thursday and did a little Kickstarter video intro video shoot thing for their Indiegogo um, campaign. Which feature is this? The one you're producing or the one your script supervisor on? The one I'm producing. Um, So doing that made me feel better too, just to talk to them and and hear what's going on. And I mean, Mm -hmm. it it, maybe it should have depressed me because it was like, oh, wow, we have, there's like so much work to do. Uh, But I think... (laughs) right. It, it was more like, no, we're doing this. This movie is going to happen. We're going to make this movie. It's going to be great. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be really good for my, uh, for my career. I think and my, just my learning, you know, and my so growth. You're back, you're, you're out of the depression. I'm out of the depression. You're back yeah. in it. Back in it. Yeah. This is the second time I feel like you've talked about being depressed because you got sick. Yeah. I think that's, it's, is that natural? I think everyone goes through that, right? Like when you get depressed or sick, you just feel a little down on yourself, you know? <laughs> um, or no, or do I don't you know. Feel like, you I'm feel not like... sure. <laughs> I don't feel anything. I'm just like, oh, I'm so sick, sick and tired of being sick. Mm. That's it. Yeah. I don't know if I, 
I don't know if I feel depressed. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just, because uh, I guess I, I part of it is I can't do the things I really want to do a lot of the time. Like, I can't work out as much, or I can't do this, or I can't do that. And it's uh, just like, you know. I have a theory. What's that? And my theory is that it, it allows you time to actually think. I think you're like the kind of guy that just like keeps going and going and going. And it's like always doing something and you're like just filling up your free time with stuff to do mm. that. You're not taking like that moment to just like really sit and think and just be like, what am I doing? Is all this adding up to something? You're just, <laughs> you're just doing, you're just doing. So you're thinking you say you're saying, I don't think I just do. And uh, since I don't think then I think I you're can't not be a, depressed. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's like, I think it was Adam Carolla said like, um, no one running from a bear is depressed. Like the whole reason like in modern society, people are depressed all the time is because we have too much free time. <laughs> like right. you're just like fighting for your life. You don't have time to get depressed. So I think the That's fact interesting. that like, you're sick, you know, you, and you have plenty of time to think and then you, and you can't do anything. Then you're just kind of like faced with the reality. Hmm. Interesting. You can't uh, distract yourself. That's an interesting theory. I don't know if I necessarily believe in that theory, but that's an interesting <laughs> theory. I mean, I believe in the overall theory. I just don't know if that's true for me necessarily. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I think it's easy to, to second guess yourself. And I guess mm-hmm. being sick is a time where I second guess myself more, you know? Yeah. Um, I Anything don't know. Anything else going on? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just more, I wish I had more time, you know, cause it's like a lot of things I want to do, like. There's this, uh, this idea for a short film that I want to write, um, that basically based off of something my mother-in-law, uh, sent me. And Mm -hmm. so I wish I could do that, but I just don't have time to do that. I have, I'm like backlogged on all these other things I have to do. So I don't know. I kind of feel like I should just, you know, squeeze that in, but it's sort of hard. And then at the same time, I also want to be rewriting the alternate now too. So there's just like all this creative writing I wish I had time to do, but I've got all these other tasks that I'm doing that are more important, but I think it's just the same old thing as always. It's, it's like, oh yeah, there's always going to be things to do that you can make excuses <laughs> right. for that, that that keep you from writing. But I mean, I mean, I feel like I work every second of every day, but I mean, I know that there's probably time that I could, you know, utilize towards, um, towards other things, towards writing that I just, you know, I'd sit or I do my, my Spanish lessons or whatever, you know, I, I don't need Taking to do Spanish lessons on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> this little... So you got Muay Thai going on. You got Spanish lessons. Yeah. You're playing this video game, the puzzle, puzzle game. I haven't played that in a few days, but yeah, yeah. still, still, you know, but I'm trying See, to this... watch, trying to watch more movies really in my free time. Trying this to... is what I recommend. Just get rid of the, the exercise routine and let yourself go. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, work out your brain with writing. Stop the Muay Thai because, <laughs> you know, right. I don't know if I could do that. I'll have to do that soon, but I'm, I don't want to do that until I have to. Let me ask you about the alternate because last week you were talking about rewriting it with a female protagonist. Oh, yeah. Did, are you still thinking about doing that or did you walk away from that idea? Well, I think what I ended up saying at the very end of that conversation last week was just that like, yeah, you know, it's probably better to tackle the task at hand rather than focusing on this new approach. So mm-hmm. I think my idea is just to um, try to rewrite the, the female character or characters uh, in the way that I wish they were. And then once that's done, if I still feel like, oh, this isn't working or this isn't what I want it to be, or then I'll think about the gender swap but mm. i feel like it's my response it, yeah. it's just my responsibility to like 
yeah, do what I what I'm supposed to do as a writer, anyways, and do that part first, and then then worry about this other idea because I feel like it was sort of partially um, a way to not have to rewrite the characters, and I feel like you know that's sort of just being lazy and you know um, trying to solve a, a a problem you know in a new way you know by I don't know. It just seems like just do do the thing that you're supposed to do, you know. But I don't, it didn't sound to me like you were trying to solve the problem in a new way. Maybe that was like underneath it all. It sounded like you just got excited about telling your story differently than you had originally intended to do it, and you thought, why not? I mean, it could be it could be a fresh new take or like even better than the one that I have. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I don't know if I said this on the podcast, but I mean, originally that was like, I thought about that. Like, like, can I do that? You know? And I, mm-hmm. I wanted to do that originally. Cause I wanted my, I always want to have a lead female character and I just thought yeah. that I couldn't do it, you know? Um, and then, yeah, I guess part of it was like, well, yeah, if I switch the genders, then automatically the, the female character becomes more interesting, you know, and more layered. So it was sort of a cheat kind of too yeah it's funny because i'm kind of going through a similar thing on haunted toy house like me and this writer have been working on it for a year and a half i would say from the time that like we first sat down and, and said let's do this and i've we've had this debate back and forth since the beginning when we first started it with like what kind of movie is it what's the tone what what's the story we're trying to tell but we're so far along now and I really like the script and I've shared it with people and people seem to really like it. And so we sat down and I gave him a bunch of notes on how we can make it better. And we he was still telling me about new ideas to change the entire script. And I was like, whoa, like we're at this point in the game. I think it's like too late to change the entire script or like start over from scratch. I guess it's not too late. It's never too late. Of course, Pixar does it all the time. Pixar throws away the entire movie and starts over. But, um, well, did you like any of the ideas that he was p- proposing? Um, I thought some of them were good, but they were they would have changed the movie entirely. Like, I feel like it's for for me. I love what we're doing, and starting over from scratch just doesn't seem like a good idea. I'd rather put our energy into finishing this the way that we intended it to be done and then start over on a new script well, does rather he have, than, you know, rewrite this one. Well, does he have a reason why he wants to start over or, or change it? Is it like there's something that he that's in there now that he doesn't like that he doesn't think is working and this well, works yeah, better? That's what, that's what I was wondering too because it got to the point where I'm just like, are you, is this cool? Like, are, are you fine? Like, what are you worried about? What, what does it come down to? He said that he was worried that our movie is um, too much of a fun popcorn movie and we're competing with Hollywood that has plenty of writers and directors that do that kind of stuff. And his idea was, let's come at it from a more dramatic angle for, he said, nuanced for lack of a better word. So that way we can get more interest. Right now, he says it feels like we're competing with Hollywood and it, it ruins our chances of getting this made. And I said, I can't even think about like how I'm going to sell this movie right now. All I can do is just follow my gut on the kind of movie that I want to make. Well, I would argue that... Follow the market. Well, when I hear what you're saying or, or what he's saying to you, I just kind of feel like a lot of that is in the decisions of how you shoot it and less in... The writing, maybe. I don't know if that's necessarily hmm. true, but like, 
you know, like if you shoot it like um, like neighbors or like, you know, um, what's a like a big like the purge or something like some sort mm-hmm. of like big like horror movie, then it is going to look like that. But if you shoot it like, um, you know, like Blue Ruin like or something, Blue Ruin, yeah. yeah, then it, it'll be, be more completely different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's I think it's more like where you like to our topics today, like where you put the camera than it is like how you write the movie. You know, and like how you guide the performances. And I think cutting out dialogue would probably just help that too. Like, you know, making things concise and more, mm-hmm. you know, like le- like more things being unsaid, I think w- helps with that, you know? Yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause this right now, the, I mean, the, the premise that we always went into on this was that it, would, it was going to be a horror comedy. I would say it's, it's gone a little away from that at this point where, it's almost like a, a pure horror film and the the characters are a little bit comedic, but I wouldn't necessarily say that this is a horror comedy. So he was asking, he was even questioning that, like, should we even just like continue down with the tone of this thing? And I was like, yeah, I really like the tone. I really like the way that it's playing right now. Well, cause it's still like got some funny things and, and I think the horror itself is sort of bizarre at some times, which, which is fun. I don't know. I like it. I, I, I feel like I agree with you. Like, I like what I read when you shared, or shared it with me however long ago, you know? So, I don't know. It's it's one. Of, it makes me think of that thing that you hear sometimes with comedy writers where it's like, you know, you have a joke that you wrote um, on an early draft <laughs> and everyone loved it and loved it. And then, like, by the end of the process, <laughs> yeah. it's like no one's laughing at that joke anymore. So, then it's like, okay, let's come up with a new joke. And then, but you forget, like you're not laughing at it because you've heard it so many times, but like, you know, people who've never heard it before are going to think that's like the best joke ever. And so like, I've heard stories of people replacing jokes like that and coming yeah. up with new jokes and then them not working. And then being yeah. like, oh and shit. I see, <laughs> I see this all the time, like in advertising too, where it's like, once you get to the rough cut phase and you see that rough cut and you've laughed at, laughed at it a few times, then like a week later, you're like, ah, let's change that. Cause you're, it's no longer funny to you. And I was wondering if, yeah, in the case of the screenplay, if that's what was happening. But then the what he came back to me with was that he's just worried that we're going to have a hard time selling it. And, and part of that's probably my fault because I told him that the current budget that I had been working on was way higher than we we were targeting. And then I also showed him my lookbook, which I think had a lot of kind of like more Hollywood looking references. And so I think he started getting this idea in his head that, uh-oh, this movie's like, way more expensive than we thought it was going to be and timothy imagines that it's going to look like a hollywood movie like oh we're fucked um because we're never going to be able to sell this and he he, i think he wanted to like make it more of like a duplass brothers style indie film Mm. i was like i still think it is kind of a duplass brothers indie horror movie but you're, you're right like it's about how you shoot it that's why I think you could make it for $500,000 because, you right. know, you could just do it in that kind of more minimalistic approach. And I think it would look great. Mm-hmm. Like, you, I think you could make it look like Blue Ruin and it would be awesome, you know? Yeah. And to me, yeah. that's better than looking like a big budget Hollywood movie. <laughs> you know? Right. And I'm not even, I feel like I'm not even there yet, like with how much money we need or like how we're going to get it done. I'm still focused on just telling the best story that we possibly can. And I, and there's just a few places in the script where it can just be better. It's already good, but I think it can be great. And so I just want to focus on making that script really, really good. And then I'll worry about the budget. Like, 
the budget's imaginary right now because it's just me with a piece of paper and I'm not a line producer. So I don't really know exactly what it's going to take. And once I get a producer involved, they'll be like, all right, first of all, you're crazy. You're never going to get 34 days to shoot this. You're going to have to do it in 15. So figure that out. And, then, <laughs> <laughs> and the second thing is you have way too many crew members on you. You know, whatever. There's a producer is going to come in and help me figure that stuff out. Right. Um, Absolutely. Or, or I'm just going to figure out like I just can't get that much money and I'll have to I'll have to just start chopping out the budget. So. Yeah. Well, I think to what you said, though, like I think every time he proposes a new thing that changes the whole script, you should just be asking yourself, does this make it the best story it can possibly right. be? And if the answer is no, then you stick with what you have. But yeah, I think that's that's a good pure area to come from is like just thinking purely about story, you know? Right. Right. And it's not like his ideas were bad. I think they were just different movies and they weren't the movie that I wanted to tell. Because also the thing about this is he had a short film that was kind of like the basis for this feature and the tone of that short. And like the reason I like that short is always what I wanted to see in the feature. And we've gotten there. We had so many debates like early on about like what the tone of this was going to be and was it going to work? Was it not going to work? And he even bailed at one point and said, Hey, I can't figure this out. I, right. I, I'm going to have to get another writer in. And then we figured it all out and we're here and we have like this thing that I feel like lived up to the expectations I had in my mind. And to abandon all that for like a different idea was just like, what? What, why are we doing this? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's, I think it's natural when the problem's hard to solve. Like it's yeah. natural to, to come up with a whole new thing, which is the same, same thing I did with my movie. It's like, oh yeah, this problem's hard for me to solve. Let's just switch genders. That's easy. Let's do that. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah. no, like got to fix the hard problem first and then you can talk about doing other things later. I like yeah I like that advice or, or at least that your approach is like let me just fix first what I wanted to fix and then if that doesn't work then I can talk about like redoing the whole thing right like we haven't even gone gone through like the rewrite of fixing all the stuff that we want to fix let's start there yeah great great idea um what else is going on with you man anything else nothing I think we that's that my 10 minutes are up so let's jump right into our topics sure. topics of the week miscellaneous craft stuff yeah i think it all kind of ties in together mostly so yeah for the most part um the the way i want to set this up is uh in david mammoth's book on directing he opens up and he says the main questions the director must answer are where do i put the camera and what do i tell the actors <laughs> i think that's i think it's a i'm it's pretty fair i mean there's plenty of other things that a director does but in terms of like your some of your most important jobs as a director the things that you're like actively doing, that's kind of what they are. So, you know, where do you put the camera? Mm -hmm. This is like something that I do struggle with. I don't always know the answer to like, where is the best place to put the camera? And I think for me, it's, it's also about how to use the camera in the most effective way. I think the person that does it the best is Steven Spielberg. He is so good at knowing where to put the camera and then blocking actors. So that placement of the camera works for like minutes. It's not just like one tiny little shot. Like it just, you can like almost stay on that shot for a three minute scene. Woody Allen's really good at that too. Yeah. Like Woody Allen does a lot of scenes in one, in one takes, you know, just because he just puts the camera where he wants it to be. And then the whole <laughs> scene just works from that angle and he doesn't have to do anything else. And it's like, that's kind of the level I wish I was at. Like, I, that's yeah, I, me too. I tried to do that with strange thing, like strange, strange thing. I was like, I wanted this one scene to play in one shot. 
and uh, I had this idea of where to put the camera, and it it mostly worked out, but it, it really couldn't carry the scene as much as I wanted to because uh, one of the actors' backs was to the camera the whole time in mm-hmm. in the way where I put the camera, so it was just like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, I think my the problem that I end up having is that I trust the actors to kind of figure out how the scene works the best for them. And then I put the camera to kind of help the actor's performance. Whereas I don't think that's how Steven Spielberg and I don't know about Woody Allen, but I don't think that's how Steven Spielberg is doing it for sure. Because you can just tell that it's like, it's choreographed out. Like the, the where people have to stand for every moment is something that they've decided together. It's not, it doesn't happen naturally. So I think for me to get better at it, I'm going to have to start telling actors, this is where I want you to be. This is where I want you to be for each of these lines and, and block it out. And it might take time and it might be slower process than what I'm used to, but that, that might be the only way to do it. I, I think you do need to give your actors some play though. Cause if you're telling them to do mm-hmm. some, something and stand here, stand here, whatever, and it, it doesn't feel right to them. Uh, I don't think that their performance is going to be that good. Right. Cause if they're, that's what I've been afraid of, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, Will, <laughs> when he wrote wrote into us and told us about, you know, sometimes you just have to tell an actor to do something and they'll use their discomfort to into the performance. Like, it's not necessarily always about making the actors comfortable. So I'm going to challenge myself and I'm going to try it some, a different way and see if I can get it. Because if I'm going to reach that level, I'm going to have to try something different. I can't just keep relying on the same techniques over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. You know. How do you, so how do you decide where the camera goes? Um, well, so after let's say I wrote the piece, right? So I've I've written it and then I usually run when I'm writing it, I have an idea of what I want it to look like as I've been writing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but usually like I kind of just close my eyes and I just think like what what do we want to see? Like what is important for the audience to see in this? And then based off of that kind of thought process that's where i decide what shots i i want you know um but that's even different deciding what shots you want is even different than where you place the camera and i feel Mm -hmm. like where you place the camera can can really only be answered when you're in the space that you're going to be shooting in um and even then it it uh it changes quite a bit you know in what way well i mean because like if you have a certain idea, like, oh, I want to shoot, like, I'm just going to use the rage as an example. Cause that's what I just, mm-hmm. that's the last thing I shot. But like we were in this bar and we had originally said, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to look down this way of the bar because we want to avoid the door because the door is going to be where the light's coming from <laughs> because we're <laughs> right. shooting in the daytime and we don't want to have to worry about uh, any light seeping through. And because it's the least interesting angle, cause there's an ATM machine right by the door. Let's just look down this way. Cause it's got the most depth and it's got the most pretty background. And then on the, the day of the shoot, we, uh, my DP was like, what about, we just think about it this way instead. And he like basically proposed shooting the establishing shot from the opposite <laughs> angle. And, uh, and this whole elaborate sort of thing. And I was just like, I looked at it with him and I thought about it and I was like, okay, sure, let's do that. And I was like, my first question was, is this going to take <laughs> a lot more time than doing it the other way? And he, right. his answer was no about the same. So I was like, fine, let's do it. 
and uh, it ended up taking a long time. But I, I don't, <laughs> this is put you three hours behind. Yeah, but I don't know if it would have um, been any different if we had done the same shot from the other side. I mean, maybe maybe it would have saved us a little bit of time, but it's hard Typically, to say. Where I put the camera, I would say, is really based off of the actors. Like so much of what I do is like watch the actors in the scene doing their thing. And then you can decide where the best places to put the camera once you've seen it. So either that's like a blocking before you're shooting or it's something based off of rehearsals. Yeah. That's funny. Cause like, I'm trying to think of like other situations, like how, how it's gone. But I think, well, for the rage, it, it was funny. I didn't do that at all. Like I didn't even rehearse block with them at all before we started setting up. I was like, I want them to sit. He's going to sit here. He's going to sit here and she's going to walk down this way and she's going to do this. And that's the way yeah. it's going to be. And I think part of the reason why that was okay was because, well, there's, there wasn't really a lot of other options um, with the right. way that we wanted to do it because the bar was kind of small and um just because that was like so clearly like what i what me and my dp had discussed was going to be the best way the the best looking you know for the bar to be was from those angles you know um but it's funny because like I, I i do come up with all my own shot list before i uh you know like hand it off to a dp but not necessarily before i talk to my dp but like i usually come up with my own list and then i share it with him and then you know they usually have changes or different ideas some of which come in uh like the the tech scout but it's some of a lot of the time they come like on set you know and then it's just like whether or not i'm going to trust my dp and go in a new direction or if i'm going to stick with what i originally had <laughs> right you know but i usually right. try to trust the dp because they're the ones who i mean i don't know like that's what they're there they're for they're the director of <laughs> photography yeah, they're there to make your movie look as best po- as possible. And if you have a good DP, I think it's your responsibility to trust them, you know? Right. And I th- and I think that uh, in a few minutes when we get to the Roger Deakins clip, and everyone should go watch that before we talk about it, it's interesting to hear how he thinks about shooting. Like, it's, I, I feel like the level of thought that goes into, like, lenses and equipment and all that is like different than what I think about as a director like I'm not thinking about time necessarily or thinking about um, you know like the, the the tiny little effects of those decisions on an audience member I'm thinking almost like on a macro level like do I want the camera at a high angle or a low angle like what am I trying to say with it um, roughly where do I want it placed and then I think a DP takes that information if you can communicate it well and say, this is what I'm going for. And then they can come back to you with a, the best way to shoot what you're, what you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, like, absolutely. I, I think it, I think it helps to, for a director to think about, you know, where to place the cameras. Like, what are you trying to say? What's the scene about? And it's kind of hard when you have just a scene with actors talking to think about that stuff. I tend to just, fall back on traditional coverage where you get a mm-hmm. wide shot medium medium you yeah, know yeah but i feel like it's kind of boring to yeah. do that and I'm, like it works it's like the easiest thing to do to make and, and know it's gonna work but i feel like the directors that i look up to are the ones that are smarter than that and can like really put the camera in a place that like captures a scene in like just a really fresh and interesting way yeah, I'm trying to not do that at all anymore. Like, that's like, I'm trying to fight against that completely. Cause I did that with, um, 
with brother to some extent and then Ooh. also uh in this little uh web teaser thing i shot but for the rage that was a conversation that me and the deep my dp had like in the beginning was like we're not going to shoot this like traditional coverage <laughs> like we're going to yeah. come up with like why is the camera doing what it's doing for each shot and like what is that communicating to the audience and why are we doing it this way and it's all it was all very intentional so we'll see if it worked out or not it definitely like I have less options for sure you know like there's certain things that I only have from one angle you know just because we just shot it just that one that one way um, but, I th- but I think for a, a movie like The Rage, where there is no dialogue and it's all just visuals, it's easier to get away from coverage. It's when people are just talking where I feel like it's easier to go to coverage because you're like, I don't know exactly how this five minute conversation is going to piece together. I don't I don't necessarily can I can I can't see like which cuts are going to be on which lines. So you just kind of capture everything and then figure it out in the edit. Yeah, but my favorite movies um, and my favorite scenes, I think are probably not shot that way. You know, yeah. I think there, they are these things where the camera is put in a very specific place that really works well with the blocking, you know, where people yeah. walk in and out and turn in a certain way that like reveals more of their face and like hides them in certain areas. You know, it's just like, ah, oh, it's, it's just a beautiful thing when you see that happen in a, in a perfect way, you know? And I, I think, I don't know, I wonder if for some of the scenes that we love, like if they did shoot coverage and then they just ended up not using it, you know, or if they yeah. they were ballsy enough to like just shoot one angle. And I bet like people like Woody Allen are probably never shooting coverage, you know, but I think other people probably do just because, I don't know, like they're probably getting pressure from the rest of the crew to do it that way or the producers oh, yeah. or whatever, you know, and because everyone's nervous. Net. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at the very least, you'll be able to, to fall back on it. Yeah. All right, shall we move on? Yeah, what about Roger Deakins? So you, you pulled this clip and you seemed excited to talk about it, so why don't you set it up? Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a lot of reasons why I like this clip. I I, um, I just typed in Roger Deakins and I found this little uncut clip of him talking for a BBC interview and it's just the raw take without any editing. And uh, it's just fascinating to hear you know, this interviewer asking him these questions and then like his answers just coming like right off the cuff. And I love mm. that he said, like, you know, he was talking about Shawshank Redemption. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, come on. Like, it's amazing <laughs> just to hear be like, yeah, when we shot Shawshank, it's like, oh, when you shot, it's like they, they talked about the way that they shot that movie. And it was like kind of like what you, you were talking about, like blocking the actors and deciding mm-hmm. where to put the camera after blocking the actors. And he said there were a couple shots, a couple things throughout the movie where they were very planned out where, you know, um, the director had like come up with like exactly where he wanted the camera to be. So they had to like do a lot of planning for certain things. Um, but for a lot of it, it was more like just blocking and then you know, figuring out what best place to put the camera. And I think that's where like someone like Roger Deakins is like an amazing asset. Cause if you have somebody who's so talented like that, if you do blocking and he watches it with you, he will know exactly where the best place to put the camera is, you know? <laughs> right. And, 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 it, you know, I mean, obviously that's your job as a director too, to help make that decision. But I mean, that person with that kind of keen eye is really invaluable to helping that yeah. decision and experience too. Oh he's, yeah, how many movies has he shot? Oh yeah, with yeah, the he's... best people in, in the business. You know? Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that he said that I thought was really interesting, and 
I think this kind of happened to me on accident, but like definitely not purposeful was just talking about shooting um, a a whole movie with one or two lenses and just Mm -hmm. trying to think about only using certain focal lengths. And he he talked about like, Oh yeah, like we don't stick to that like religiously, like we'll break it every once in a while, but like pretty much trying to shoot the whole movie with like, you know, a certain type of focal length in mind. And I was curious, like, have you ever thought about that at all um, in shooting your movies? No, I don't. I know very little about focal lengths and, mm. and how they affect audiences, or even like really what they do. I'm I'm so macro that I can really just say like wide shot, medium shot, close up, extreme close up. Right. I, I could I could not talk to a DP about lenses, but you know what's interesting when when I heard that clip about him talking about just using a few lenses and like kind of the effect it has on an audience. I realized that I've shot two short films now where the DP was so excited that he used every single lens in the case. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> it was almost like the challenge was the opposite, where they wanted to use every single lens we had. Oh, yeah. And I actually kind of like the the simplicity of just shooting with a few, and it's probably going to lend itself to a more cohesive look than trying to use every lens in your package. Yeah. Well, so on Strange Thing, this is the movie that it kind of happened by accident. Was uh, We pretty much stayed on, on very wide lenses for the, almost the whole time. I think we were like on the 16 or 18. And it was, I can't remember if it was the 16 or the 18. It was either one of those. And then it was like the 24 for like almost the whole thing. And part of the reason was because my apartment's so small Like we just were like, that was sort of what we were like tasked with. And I think we went to like, you know, the 50 every once in a while, but like we really kind of stayed very wide. And I think we did end up putting the camera really close to the actors a lot of the time just to sort of like get this sense of, of place, you know, and while also being in a close up. Uh, but that wasn't a decision I made. Like I was actually kind of shocked that like we were being that wide because I, I usually <laughs> yeah. think in my head that I that the you know the tighter uh, the the longer lenses like the 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 eighty and the hundred or whatever that they look sexier in general, you mm-hmm. know, because they like get that shallow depth of field. Oh yeah, and they really like knock the background out of focus, and it just looks yeah. like a movie, you know. Um, but that, yeah, I mean, I think for the forest stuff too, is the same thing. I think we were predominantly wide, you know? Um, but it's, it's interesting because I, I never really, I, I like you, I, I thought like, oh yeah, like the, the art of filmmaking is using all the, like, you know, not all the lenses, <laughs> but like using, <laughs> right. using all the different focal lengths to tell a, a story, you know, and like get tight and go wide and tight and wide and like the just juxtaposition of, of angles, you know? But uh, the idea of just doing one or two lenses, I think that's like a different type of a different way of doing the art of filmmaking. And I think it, you know, it's really interesting to me. And I, I don't know. I, I want to talk to my DPs about that and like, you know, see what their their take on it is. You know? Yeah, I remember in film school, one of my teachers was so mad at Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Oh, yeah. Because uh, the focal length was changing so much from shot to shot. Oh, and really? so the background was like moving in relation to the character because, yeah, the different lens that you use, the background either feels like closer or farther away. And I still don't know. I think it was a her. I still don't know what she was talking about. No, that's funny. <laughs> like that would be something that I just would never notice. But I mean, maybe I should. Maybe Maybe that's something I need to learn about. I mean, I know just kind of like general ideas about lenses but i'm not like so deep into it that i know exactly like what kind of lenses i want 
Mm-hmm. I, I really lean on a DP to help fill in the, those missing pieces. And I can see it and say yes or no, but I, I can't say like, put the 50 on. That should work. Yeah, and I don't think you should, honestly. Like, I kind of okay. feel like as a director, like, I know a lot of directors do, you know, mm-hmm. and like they like to, and I don't think DPs generally mind. I think the best way and the way I like to talk to a DP is just saying like, this is what I'm trying to get. Like, what yeah. do you think? And then they make the lens to decision. If I try to say, That's like, what, put on yeah. the 50, put on the 85, I feel like I'm, I'm going to be hindering myself and hindering my, my DP. Like, let them make that decision. They're the one who knows, you know. I am a big believer in collaboration. Yeah. And I feel like the way to collaborate as a director is to not dictate what everybody do, which is the reason I don't tell actors like exactly where I want them to be, but more of just be like open to other people's interpretation of things and just tell them what you're looking for. Like, what is the story about? Like, what is the shot about? Like, what do you, what kind of mood are you, do you want? And if you can communicate what you're going for, then those people can make decisions to help achieve that. But I just like I'm not a dictator director and I don't want to be. I don't think you should be. I think that those people, I mean, there might be some who are really great who do that really well. But I think it's probably better to just uh, give people a little bit more freedom. And I mean, you need to communicate your vision, but like, you know, let them choose what tools they use or how they do their job, I think. I think so. And this will kind of like roll into the, the talk about Quentin Tarantino. I mean, he said a few things in this director roundtable that just kind of jumped out to me is like, oh, those could be like some little interesting insights into how he works with actors. Um, you know, the first is he talks about Harvey Keitel telling him like, the first thing you should do is just let an actor just come in with their material, the way they prepared it, don't give them any direction. And I, I think that just... It's not that interesting. I mean, we've said that before, and I, and I think it's kind of a no-brainer for most people. But I, I guess what I heard from that is he gives actors room to act. And he's not like, this is the way it needs to be done. This is how the line needs to be said. He is open to like the actor's perspective, which I think is good. We're already doing that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is, well, this is specifically in auditions, I think too. Yeah. You know? It was auditions. Um, but it, it's interesting. Cause like, I, I think when I, you first sent this to me, I was like, bah, we always say that and whatever, <laughs> like that's something right. that we all know. But then I'm, I was thinking back, um, on a run yesterday, like, like, do I do that? And I think like, okay, so I think with strange thing, I definitely didn't do that. Like I, I think I gave a lot of information beforehand, you know, and then on my last uh, thing I auditioned for, I think, which was necessary evil. I think I, I didn't give as much, you know, I just sort of gave them like the character descriptions and the, the, the scene and then sort of would ask like, Hey, like, do you have any questions before we get started? And and if they did, then I would give them some more information. But if they didn't, I would just let them go. Um, I don't do that at all. I just say, all right, you guys, let's just see what you guys came up with. And then we'll talk after that. You don't, yeah. I just just have them loose. I never, you never ask if they have any questions. No, no, not, not at first. I want to see them like the pure, fresh, what they came prepared and maybe they didn't prepare at all. And I'll see that and I'll be like, all right, well, they're not that serious about it. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I want to give them some, some help, you know, give them, yeah, you need to, you can't do that. You got to (laughs) like let them. Yeah. Cause it's true. Like you're never going to see what that actor thinks about the material. If you give them anything, even just one word, just any thought like you're, you get in their head at that point. Right. So 
I thought that was interesting, but more interesting to me was like how he talked about teaching Zoe Bell how to act. And Zoe Bell was the stunt double for Uma Thurman yeah. and Kill Bill. And that to me is like, all right, well, if he's, if he's saying that he taught her how to act and he's saying that these are the things that make an actress an actress, that gives me so much insight into what he thinks acting is. And he says, he kind of like distilled it to two things. One is, you think the thoughts of the character and two, you know what's going on. And the reason like this jumped out to me is like those are kind of obvious things, but I think the way Quentin Tarantino does it, that's different from the way I do it. And I think probably a lot of people do it is he understands his characters and stories so well. Like he creates complete fleshed out universes and stories that if you asked him anything about those characters he would know the answer and and i've heard too that in some of his scripts like he'll have like pages of descriptions and histories of characters that are never in the movie it's just more for the actors to know so i think he's really good at telling the actors like this is who you are this is like your relationship to this person like this is where you've been for the past year i think he can just really bring to life that character in an actor's mind in a way that a lot of directors probably can't and like definitely that i don't do but i would love i'd love to get to the point where it's a character that i'm that i'm coming to the actor with rather than collaborating with the actor on like a lot of times i feel like me and the actors are figuring out who the character is by sitting down and talking about the script. But I think probably the way he gets his performances is he knows who these characters are and he has references for who they are. And he's bringing that to the actors than having the collaboration is more about how the actors take his information and bring it to life. Not that they're figuring it out together. Yeah. Well, that's, it's funny because like, so with the brother, like I sat down, um, with, uh, with a couple of the actors and sort of talked about um, where I saw the characters and where they were, they had come from, mm-hmm. especially with a couple of the actors. And um, I think I probably did the same thing. I always do just sort of ask like what they thought. And then I think, yeah. um, you know, my lead actress was like, well, I have my own ideas, but I want to hear what you think first, which mm-hmm. I thought was great. And probably the smartest thing to the way to do it. And then I had like a whole background of where this character came from you know and like why she's doing what she's doing why she's in the situation she's in and all these things because well i don't want to give anything away but like it's sort of important into understanding uh like what the movie that i made you know at all because there's some some layers there uh and I don't know. I mean, do do you ever do that? Like, t- talk to you, like have an idea of where your characters come from, like going back to like you know years before the, your movie takes place, or no? I'm really bad at that. Oh yeah, yeah. And I I think that's kind of what, in some ways, I think that's kind of holding me back, and I, I need to get better at it and be smarter about how to break down a story. I I am relying too much on actors to help me figure it out. Mm. I mean, there's times on Over My Dead Body where um, one of the actors would say something to me about the character and I'd be like, oh yeah, that's so smart. That makes so much sense. Like I'm the, my problem is I'm like way too open to possibilities. Like I'll, I'll, I read the script and I'll think we could play it this way. We could play it this way. We could play it this way. But there's really only a few ways you should be able to play it if you're trying to say something specific. Mm. And that's, I feel like I'm not very specific, but if I can get more specific, I think everything's going to be better. 
Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's also How interesting too because well, I mean, for, well, strange thing. I think I I had simply just like okay, well, they're newly newlyweds, you know, so they 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 you know just got married maybe a few months ago. Yeah, and uh. You know, she's really into science fiction and is a nerd and he's not really much of a nerd, but he's trying to like embrace that to like make her happy because that's something that she loves so much. And he's more of a alpha male jock type guy. Yeah. Yeah. And that was sort of my character backgrounds for that. So that, that's as, that's as much as you had. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Not not too much more, you know, but like he's more pragmatic and like thinks like he's a tough guy and she's more mm-hmm. like, you know, dreamy and like into like these stories. And then like when that one thing happens in the movie, it's like they sort of switch positions kind of where like he's like really scared by this thing and like kind of like wants to run from it. And then she's like really excited. So they kind of like switch sort of roles in a way. And it's sort of like I thought it was interesting to show the alpha male like not being very tough alpha male like in this strange situation. Yeah. Do you Um, think that you could have gone into like more history on the character with that particular film or do you just think it becomes irrelevant at a certain point? I mean, you probably could have and it might have made it better, but I I don't know. I feel like certain stories you don't really need to to know every single detail about the person in order for it to, to, to work. And I've heard other actors talk about this, like where some actors really believe in, in knowing everything about their characters. And some actors think it doesn't matter at all. And all you need to know is (laughs) just, just what's on the page. And that's all that matters. And I can't remember, these are like famous actors. I think love listening to on interviews and stuff. I can't remember who said they didn't care about their backstory, but uh, I just thought it was an interesting, <laughs> an interesting uh, way to look at it. And I mean, they, they were a fantastic actor, so obviously it's whatever works for you, right? Um, right. Well, I think also what makes Tarantino like singular is he's also a writer, and so like the fact that he knows this stuff as a writer, it comes out in this in the dialogue. So you get the sense when you're watching his movies that these characters have lives beyond the story that you're seeing, which I think is what just kind of naturally, you know, actors, whether they care about the backstory or not, they're going to see that in the dialogue. And the way he writes dialogue, just, you know, the actors, I think, can say it almost in a way that makes them seem like they're really good actors, even just because the words are written so well, you know? Mm, Yeah, maybe. I think it's, well, it's really... Tarantino's writing is very specific, you know, and I think like you have to say it in a certain way or it won't necessarily work. <laughs> right. It's you got know? its own rhythm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I think is like, you know, it, it's what makes a Tarantino movie a Tarantino movie. But I don't feel like that's something that, you know, everyone should be doing. You know, you just I don't know. I think everyone has different different styles and different ideas of how yeah. to tell a story. But well, I think the one thing that I don't do, and and he was saying like, um, you know, he felt like Zoe understood what acting was when she came to him and said, "What do you want me to think about in the scene?" And that's one thing I I don't tell actors what I want them to be thinking, but I think he probably does. I think he probably tells them like, "This is what's going through your head at this moment." You know, you're thinking about your your daughter that you lost, and uh, you know, you're probably putting a bunch of images in their head to bring bring it to life because I, I think that a lot of times I'm directing by kind of like giving people intentions like what they're trying to get from the other person but I think a lot of times in just normal everyday life it's more of just like flashes and visuals and images 
and things, you know, background stuff that we're thinking, even though it's not what we're actually saying. So he's doing something to create inner life within the characters that I think is is an interesting approach to directing where it's probably less about, I want you to say it more angry or, or you should be sad in the scene. And he's putting in a visual into their head so they can come up with that emotion, almost like the, the way a human being would in that in that situation. Yeah, yeah, that's you know interesting. Yeah, it's, I, I didn't really formulate that thought so well, but I mean, just that that idea of like, what am I thinking, is like a really cool one. I've never really used that technique and told actors what they're thinking before they perform a scene. Yeah, I don't think I've ever said what they're thinking. Maybe I have, but more like what they're feeling. You know? Yeah, and um, maybe it, that's 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 what what I'm getting at. It's like rather than talking to them about what they're feeling, give them some things to think about. Yeah. Like in over my dead body, for instance, it might've been like, is this guy really a zombie? Is he not a zombie? Can I trust him? Can I not trust him? You know, it'd be like all the little, the, the mini monologue that's going on in your head while you're having this conversation. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I think, uh, I don't, I just think I kind of just say whatever I feel like I need to say to like, (laughs) you know, make it work. Um, I do too, but I want the idea. I guess the challenge for me is I know what I do right now. Mm-hmm. What I do, I don't feel like is good enough. I want to get better. So what can I do different to become a better director? And right. so like the reason that this this was interesting to me is because I want to pull out some little technique from here and try it on my next project and see if it changes anything. Yeah. I also think that like in in general... You know, like these directors that we're comparing ourselves to, like the the level of talent that they have is different than the level of talent that we have to work with. And I'm not saying that we don't have great actors, but I mean, you know, they're they're not Harvey Keitel or, you know, Thurman. I think that's a defeatist point of view to say like, oh, I'm not... I'm not as good of a writer as Quentin Tarantino and I'm not working with the same caliber of actors as Quentin Tarantino. It's like... That doesn't mean you shouldn't try to do what he's doing. Yeah. And, and I'm not all saying those you different shouldn't act- try. I'm just saying that like you could do the exact same thing that he does and you could come up with the exact same performances that we've come up with in the past <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> that I'm saying, that, saying- like, that a lot of times these directors that we, we hold up on pedestals aren't necessarily uh-huh. doing anything that drastically different than anybody else at our level is doing. It's just the talent they have around them is, is different. Not just saying the actors, but I'm saying like the crew, the budget, <laughs> all the things, all the pieces, you know, like I, I like I've, a really great experiment to do would be to like, take like a professional filmmaker, you mm-hmm. know, like somebody who is making a big budget, let's say $20 million movie, and then take like an independent filmmaker who's um, directed like three or four $500,000 movies that are all mm-hmm. gone direct to video and switch them. And see what happens. I would, I would think that <laughs> so would be give, fascinating. So give Michael Bay your crew, and then you go work with Michael Bay's crew and right. see what happens. Well, I'm not Michael Bay. That's a bad example because <laughs> I don't, I don't think his crew, his crew is like a kind of crew that only works with him. I'm talking about just like a generic Hollywood big budget crew, like, like I don't know the crew that shot, um, I don't know like monuments men or something like that. I don't know. Just like, you know, some generic blockbuster Hollywood movie. <laughs> well, here's my argument against that. 
What's that? Blood Simple by the Coen Brothers. Uh huh. They did an amazing job with that movie. It's done with just a small crew of like people that they knew for very little money, and they came out with something that looks like that has like a really strong point of view. I think its point of view is what makes is the difference between like us and them. Right, exactly. I mean, I think like what you're saying, point of view, and 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 like uh, you know, telling a story that only you can tell. I think that's the kind of thing that you need to do mm-hmm. in order to to separate yourself, you know, and and be true to the art that you have in your heart, like the the, the vision that you have, you know. And if that's strong enough, and you execute it properly, or at least as well as you can, like yeah, hopefully that'll seep it. through, you know. I don't yeah. think there's anything wrong with trying to study great directors and see what they what they that they're doing and try to take that for yourself. I just think that like there there are certain advantages and situations that they have that uh, independent filmmakers are micro independent filmmakers have or don't have that may that they will make might make all the difference, you know. So are you arguing that Quentin Tarantino's not a good director that he's just lucky to work with great actors. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that like the, I think the divide might not be as, as large in, in every situation as, as you think. As it feels. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But I think he's also a one of a kind writer. And I think that, you know, helps differentiate him, you know, I think the writing is probably more than half the job with him. I'm sure just like without a ton of direction, you can just give actors that material and it just, it's just written so well that it's just going to naturally turn out well. Yeah. One other thing I was thinking about was, um, you know, one of the reasons why I, I tend to give actors more information when it's like, even in, in on a, in an, in an audition is mm-hmm. because I kind of feel like my writing's not that strong. So like, mm. I feel like what they can get from the page is not as <laughs> right. much as like what someone reading a Tarantino script can get from the page. So right. I, it's my obligation to give them more information so they can do the job, um, as well as they can, you know? Right. If the dialogue is like, Hey, Hey, what's up? Nothing much. Just chilling. Oh, that's <laughs> right. cool, man. Uh, I'm going to go out and get a beer. You want to come? Sure. I'll be there in a sec. Well, thank and God you- none of us are writing movies <laughs> that are like that. It'd <laughs> be like, uh, so what's the scene about? <laughs> right. Just getting a beer, you know? It's just yeah. getting a so beer. It's, it's two guys. Uh, they want to get a beer. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it's All right, a well, really I'll- important beer. Is there any any other like final thoughts on this stuff? I mean, I probably could up? talk about this this uh, clips of Tarantino for hours, but I think we got the 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 meat out of it that we need to get yeah. out of it. Cool. All right. Do you have anything to share this week? Um, I don't. I mean, just these clips. I mean, th- these are like things that we'll post up on makingmoviesishard.com so you can watch them for yourself and and let us know what you think. Yeah, the Deacons clip and the and the I gotta watch this this uh, was it the Hollywood Reporter is that who did it? Yeah, it's the Hollywood Reporter roundtable. It's yeah. pretty funny. I'm gonna put that on while I do my taxes today. Just watch yeah. that for an hour because that looks looks like really interesting. And I I have like my favorite of the directors on there, like not for their movies, but just for the way that they answer the questions already. Just off off watching ten minutes. So I don't what, know, I think, Ridley Scott. Oh no no! Ridley Scott pisses me off. <laughs> he just seems like he's hogging he's hogging the table, you know. And just oh yeah, like, he is. Everyone's like Ridley. What do you think? And he's like, ah, it's easy. I have I have no regrets. None. 
It's all what worked was, out really well. What was the hardest part of making The Martian? Mm, nothing. It was all it was all easy. <laughs> thanks, thanks for the insight, Ridley. Oh my god. <laughs> I liked Alejandro Inarritu. I thought he he gave good uh, answers. Yeah, he's so passionate. Yeah, I'm so excited. Um, uh, do I have anything to share? I don't know. I saw some cool movies. I saw Deadpool, uh, Hail Caesar, Hannah, and Roll Bounce this weekend, which were if, all fun. So, if I had to choose one to see, which one would you say go out and watch today? Um, have you seen any of those movies? Nope. Well, Ooh. Hannah, is that the action movie with, yeah, uh, with Shearsha Ronan? Yeah. I yeah. love that movie. Yeah, yeah. that was good. Uh, I was probably going to say that one. Um, I think just go see Deadpool because it's a different uh, type of uh, superhero movie. And I think it'll be fun, you know, just to see something that isn't like every other superhero movie that comes out these days. All right. You heard it here. Go see Deadpool. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people did. I think it broke all kinds of records. Um, yeah, I think so. Which is awesome. Um, all right, shall I take us out of this? Yeah, this, take this us piece? out. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Help other people find us by leaving a review on iTunes or Stitcher. You can check out our website at makingmoviesishard.com where you can subscribe to our show notes and share your thoughts on this episode and all the other episodes. Uh, you can also send us an email at podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. And if you want us to, we'll share it on the show. If you don't want us to, we'll bury it in a deep, dark dungeon and never speak of it ever. Um, so thanks very much, Timothy, for a wonderful episode. Hey, thanks, Alric. Yeah, and uh, everyone, have a wonderful, wonderful week.